It's a great privilege again to welcome back up Pastor Don, who gave us a wonderful message last week. And I'm blanking, pardon me. Had three 12 hours just in the past week, so forgive my absence. But Pastor Don, please welcome him up. We'll be in Revelation 2, I believe. 2, 1 through 7, the book of Revelation. Pastor Don. One of the things I uh, told Art when uh, we greeted each other, and we shook hands, and um, I told him, be sure to wash your hand. And the reason why, I'm not sure what's going on in my body, but I'm standing on my, uh, on my hope that I am able to do all I can to finish God's word. By the way, Art just walked out, but I was going to tell him, word of God. We uh, Last week we studied, uh, not studied, we heard um, the sermon about the word of God, how I believe the word of God is the word of God, and that I can trust everything the word of God says. Today, I want us to look at my walk with Christ. Now, the title of the message is The Journey of Returning to Jesus. The Journey of Returning to Jesus. Now, if you think about it, if I am making a journey to return to Jesus, that means I must have left Jesus. Is that right? And so what I want you to understand is today, as we did last week, I am one who truly believes that the, that God's word is absolutely flawless. It is God's word. There are no mistakes any way, shape, or form in God's word. I wish I could say that about my life, that there's no mistakes. Now, I could ask my wife to stand, and she could probably point out about, oh, two or three million mistakes that I have made in our 47 years of marriage. But I'm not going to have her do that, because I don't want to put her on the spot, because she may not be able to remember all two million. But here's another way to look at what we're going to look at today. How do I get back into fellowship with God? Have you ever felt like you, you, you've been walking a walk that is not conducive to that of Christianity? Have you ever felt like you just walked away and I turned my back on Christ? Have you ever felt like in this time of wandering, I have wandered too far. God can't forgive me. And I'm here to give you some good words. 
You cannot, as a Christian, wander too far from God. You can't. If Jesus lives in your heart because you accepted him as your Savior, then you're saved. And you may feel like you can never go back to God. God cannot accept me back. Because I've, I, I, I've, I've crossed over the line. And I'm here to tell you, you cannot break fellowship with God. You are a child of the king. And he does not throw his children out. But he does discipline his children. I think I would rather be disciplined by God and to have him throw me out. You cannot walk away from God. You can turn your back on him. You can, you can spin circles, whatever. It just doesn't matter what you think you can do. You cannot walk away from God. I am one of those who believes that once I become a Christian, a solid, Bible-believing, church-going, well, church-going, you know. There's a lot of people who walk away from church. I've never understood it. I was saved at the age of 17, and I don't remember too many days that I have not been in church. I think that's because I was saved as a teenager and I had sowed a lot of wild oats at that point. And when I asked Jesus to come into my heart at the age of 17, I met every word of it. Now, it took me a long time to figure out whether or not I could, I could understand what God wants me to do and how I am to do it. I was saved at 17. I met Jesus for the first time at 15. And then I met him again at 16. Y'all know what I'm talking about? In other words, I never met him at 15. And I never met him at 16. But I did meet him at 17. He kept reaching out to me, but I did not reach back because I had too many things on my plate. Churches can be the same way. How many of you have ever driven in an old country town or something like this, like in Iowa or something like that, and you see a church boarded up? The... Um, uh, New Market Baptist Church was a church that I went to one time. I worked on my uncle's farm for uh, you know for a summer, and the next next year I came back, and now I was a Christian. And I went. I wanted to go to church at the Baptist Church. It was boarded up. You see. It died. The church is made up of whom? 
Who makes up the church? We do. We are the church. Do you believe that? Sure. We are the church. The church is just a building. If the church is just a building, we've missed the point of who makes up the church. The church is not a building. The church is individuals that go inside a building. So I, 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 I got to a point to where whenever I felt like I was, I had walked away from God, I had to work. Not, not so much hard, but I had to humble myself and come back to where I was. In the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 1. Let's stand together as I read this. If you're able to stand, uh, if not, just stay where you're at. And uh, I would like to read this first letter of the seven letters to the churches. It says, write to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name and have not grown weary. Now, doesn't that sound good? I mean, that that's a testimonial of a church. Uh, ooh, mm. Verse 4, though, says this. But I have this against you. Oh, not good, right? This is God speaking now. But I have this against you. You have abandoned. You have walked away. You have deserted the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do good works. And do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet, I found this really, really kind of strange, the way God does things. Yet, you do have this. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Let everyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. That is the reading of Scripture. Be seated. When we start talking about this, this letter to the church at Ephesus, a couple of things you need to understand. The church at Ephesus, Ephesus was a huge metropolitan city. I mean, we're talking huge. 
Hundreds of thousands of people lived in that area. In that area, it was a Roman church, I mean, a Roman community. It was a city, and it was right there on the, uh, on the, on, on the banks of, of, of the sea. But when you see Ephesus, it was a huge commercial area. But when we look at Scripture, after we see uh, what Ephesus is like, because I want you to keep that in your mind, how big it was and how it was a Roman community. The, the letter to the, to the church at Ephesus starts like this. It talks about the stars and it talks about the golden lampstands. Well, a lot of people don't understand what he means by the stars in his right hand. Seven stars in his right hand, God. The seven stars in his right hand are the messengers of each church or the pastors. They gave messages each morning or whatever, whenever the church was open. They gave letters each week. Uh, they gave their sermons, you might say, each week. These are the pastors of the seven churches. The golden lampstands are the churches and their influence on the community of Ephesus. God holds the seven stars in his right hand and he walks through the seven golden lampstands. A church should be one that gives off light. Amen? Why should the church have that responsibility? Because Jesus is the light of God. We are responsible for that light to be shared with this community. Amen? Secondly, there is in this scripture an encouragement for the F, for the Ephesus church. This 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 letter to the Ephesians. As I said before, there is a really good plan for or for parents, for counselors, and whatever. One of the things I've learned to do as a pastor, what I've done as a minister, as a, as a father, whatever. If, if I am going to scold one of my children or a grandchild, well, or a great-grandchild when he gets older, the thing is this. It is good to let them know what they're good at. You understand that? Before you hit them with the hard part, let them know what they're good at. That's what God's doing with this church at Ephesus. He is encouraging them. He's giving all these great accolades of what he has seen in that church. But those accolades don't cut it 
but God's looking for those who are following him. Now, do you have children? And, and you find that they're not obeying like they should? What are you going to tell them? I, I remember that uh, in our house, we tell them, make your beds. Make your beds. And so they made their beds. Now, they didn't do anything else to their bedroom, but they made their beds. And so I would bring up the fact. I'd say something to Shane or Dustin or Daniela and say, you know, it's really good the way you make your bed. It's it's amazing. I mean, it's it's really for Shane, who's who was a Marine. You know, he dropped a quarter on the uh, bed and it bounced back up. I don't ever. I never saw it, but they say it could happen. And then I have to tell them why I am not happy with something else they might have done. But I want to encourage them. And that's what God's doing. He's encouraging the church. What happens if God just comes and says, you have left your first love. And that's it. No explanation. No buildup. No. God understands that we as his children need to hear from him. But he also knows we need to hear from him encouragement as well. Thirdly, there is a proclamation, you might say, of the sin that the church has done. It's revealed here in Scripture. And that, that sin is that they have left their first love. They have left their first love. In physical terms, or in people terms, or when I talk about a human being, my first love is sitting here on the second row. But when I talk about God, the spiritual realm, God is my first love. Amen? He should be first. So I tell my wife, you know, hon, I really appreciate you and everything, but uh, I do have a better first love. That's God. My wife is my second love. And then I don't even dwell on the children after that. Because then it becomes, Dad loves me better than you. But the sin that the church had done is they left their first love. Well, what does that mean? They've left their first, they walked away from Jesus. They, they've got all these things that they're doing, that church in Ephesus, all these things that they're doing and they're good things. But when we're not seeing 
God being shared. If anybody needed to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, it would be the people of Ephesus. They needed Jesus. And so I look at this and God's very simple. He says, if you have walked away, then here's what you need to do. Repent. I'm sorry. Remember from where you've come from. Repent of your sin. And then return. Return to where your walk stopped. When a church is having problems, it begins with mistrust. When a church is not trusting one another, then we see that the devil is trying to creep in. Or he is creeping in. In, the, in this church at Ephesus, they had left their first love. They walked away from Jesus. Now here's the question. When does a believer, when does a Christian walk away from their first love? Here it is. When they sin. When they sin. Now, how many of you have never sinned since you asked Jesus into your heart? Exactly. How many of you have not sinned at all in thought or in action already today? See? I'm not going to raise my hand because if if I raise my hand, I'll just make you all feel bad. <laughs> but the thing is this. Sin is what breaks our relationship. Every time we sin, it breaks our relationship with Christ. And so what do we want to do? What does Jesus want us to do? He wants us to repent. He wants us to repent. Remember from where you've fallen. And repent. It's just a simple prayer. But it has to come from the heart. Not the head. The heart. Father. Forgive me. For I have sinned. And then you name that sin to him. Even though he already knows it. We name that sin. And then it says this. Remember how far you have fallen. Repent. And then it says, and do the works of a repentant person. But what does that mean? It means to return to the love that you turned your back on. And make God the most important person in your life. Return. Three R's. Repent. I'm sorry. Remember from where you've fallen. Repent of your sin. And return. Return. 
to where God had you and you walked away. Return to the love you once had. And then we come to point number four. God's acknowledgement to the sin of the Nicolaitans. I've, I've, I've done a lot of studying this week on that, on that group called the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans were a group of heretical people. Uh, they were a, um, they were not a church group, not a Christian group. They were just a group, the Nicolaitans. But they infiltrated this church in Ephesus. When we talk about the Nicolaitans, we talk about a group of people who had a gentleman by the name of Nicholas. And if you want to know who this was, we many scholars believe that Nicholas was a man who was called by God to be one of the well I like to call them the deacons the first seven deacons in Acts okay but they were the ones who took care of the tables the tables the church was growing so fast so hard thousands were, jo were joining the church and they needed more help. The apostles were doing things that they should not have to do. And so they took and they, they named seven men. Stephen and Philip were two of them. They were the two top. And then they had a group of five. And the last one mentioned, I believe, was Nicholas. Nicholas fell away. And he started a group of people who would be They would be people who basically did their own thing. Nicholas was an evil man. In the book of Acts, Peter and the rest of the apostles set aside four things that they needed to do. Four things that all Christians around the world at that point, it was just there in, uh, in Mesopotamia as well as in um, Asia Minor and then also in the Jerusalem area. This is what they said. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas. This is not Judas Iscariot. This is one of the uh, seven um, leaders who will personally report the same thing by word of mouth. For it was the Holy Spirit's decision and ours not to place further burdens on you beyond these requirements. Now he's talking to Gentiles as well as to Jews. And so he says, we don't want to place any further burdens on you beyond these requirements. And this is these are the requirements. That you abstain from food offered to idols. Nicholas said it's okay. 
to eat food offered to idols. Secondly, you are to abstain from blood. In other words, there is not to, the meat that you eat should not have any blood in it as you have cooked it. From eating anything that has been strangled, and then the fourth one is from sexual immorality. In this town of Ephesus, the church that is there was the church that Paul started. Timothy came along and became the pastor of this church. When you see this huge town, this huge city, in the middle of it is this huge temple to a goddess by the name of Diane or Diana. And it was nothing more than a brothel. The people who were part of Nicholas's group, the Nicolaitans, went to that temple thinking that this was okay. And it's not okay. Peter had already told them that this is not appropriate for a Christian. So, the Nicolaitans were people who came into the church there in Ephesus and throughout that region to do one thing. To bring the church of Jesus Christ down. They were evil. How do you recognize those who are evil? Throughout the ages, I, I gave this to you in your notes. Throughout the ages, the church of the Lord Jesus has been plagued by those of the Nicolaitan spirit. Now, <clears throat> they may not be named the Nicolaitan spirit or anything like this. It just may be a group of people who just want to cause problems. Have you ever been in a church that you find a group of people that just want to take it down and they want to do it their way and nobody else? I knew a gentleman once who said, I have no mercy and I give no mercy. And he was a top dog in that church. I wrote a letter to him after several months of being around him. And my wife and I, basically together, we prayed over that letter. We said, you know, I just want you to know that I've looked at everything and I've come to the conclusion that you are not a Christian. A Christian does not come right out and say, I don't have mercy and I don't give mercy. Jesus portrayed mercy and he gave mercy. And then finally, there's God's call for a righteous life. This is like a a concluding comment. 
this is like a an invitation to those that he is talking to. But God's call to us even here is for righteous living. Righteous living is one that lives for Christ. A righteous life is a life with a future in heaven. How many of you recall a place like the Garden of Eden? My, if anybody that doesn't know what the Garden of Eden is, do you understand the Garden of Eden? Yes? No? Raise your hand. I'll raise my hand. The thing is this. The Garden of Eden was a place where God put Adam and Eve. They put Adam and Eve. In the Garden of Eden, the, the very middle of it, there is the tree of life and there is the tree of good and evil or the tree of knowledge. All right? Everybody with me? The tree of life was the tree of life that says you will never die. You will live eternally if you eat of this fruit. That's the tree of life. The tree of knowledge of good and evil was planted also in the midst of the garden. Adam and Eve were in the garden and Eve went out without Adam. Might have been while Adam was talking with God and he said or she said as she was talking with Lucifer, Satan, what happened is she said, or Satan said to her, you know what? You look upon that fruit, it looks good, doesn't it? She said, yeah. You think you can, you see, if I give this fruit to you, you'll take a bite out of it? And so she did. And she thought, oh, wow, this is really good. And what did she do? Here, honey, take a bite. This is really good. Picked it off the fruit of knowledge. And she handed it to her husband, Adam. And Adam took a bite and this is really good. And then all of a sudden, what happened? Their eyes were open. And they realized that they were naked. And now they're embarrassed because they're naked. Their eyes were open. Well, in the midst of the day, God came to walk with Adam while they talked. Says, or God says to, says to him, because Adam and Eve were hiding that because they're so embarrassed. They're so, they just don't understand what's happened except for they know that this is not right. 
tendency. Adam, where are you? It's our time now. Adam, stay away from me. Their time is I'm over here. God knew all this long ago. It was not a good day in the garden. Eve, Adam, as God taught these things, Adam said, I was embarrassed. I was confused. And I had to hide from you. And he said, why? Because I ate an apple or pear or whatever else. Like, well, goes on a stick. I've got a stick. Maybe there's a combination of all things. But the thing is, Adam sinned. And God, God said, why did you do this? Everything was great. Why did you do this? And I'm not, I'm just telling what the Bible says. Well, that woman you gave me, she gave it to me to eat. And so God went to Eve and says, what? Eve, what have you done? Well, it was that snake in the grass who told me, and he gave it to me, and I ate it. And then God and the Holy Spirit, Jesus in heaven, said, we can't let them stay in the garden anymore. Hear me? We can't let them stay in the garden anymore. They need to be driven out. Now, why? They did it. The Trinity did it because they didn't want them to eat of the tree of life. Now why? Because if they had eaten of the tree of life, after they had eaten of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, then they would be on their way to hell. Because their life would be totally different from then on without any relationship with God. Look at the scripture and hear what it says in verse 7. It says this, Let anyone who has ears to hear Listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to eat from the, from the what? Tree of what? Tree of life. <laughs> Which is in the paradise of God. Who is represented by the tree of life? Jesus Christ. 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. When I looked at this, I thought, this is another great letter that concludes with the fact that if we are going to be any kind of a church, we have to have people who are born again and know it. Because a church cannot operate with people who want to just argue people. And in this church, I have not seen that. I have not seen that. I've only been here twice. I can only testify to myself that in my heart Jesus resides. In my head the Holy Spirit tries to control my thinking. But I do a pretty good job of doing my own thinking. But the thing is this. I have eaten of the tree of life. This is Jesus Christ. My question to you have you tasted of the fruit from the tree of life? And if you're like me, Sometimes I go, you know, many hours without sleep, but that's when I'm sick. Am I born to our name? Thank you.